All right, welcome back as we continue on kicking off the 5 o'clock hour with one of our favorites each and every week. Talking with Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, all by myself today. Uh, luckily, I got guys like you, though, to talk to and, and bounce some things around. And what's turning out to be, uh, I think, an interesting NFL training camp. Baseball re- uh, le- league races are starting to tighten up. The divisions, including the American League West, which a couple weeks ago felt like it was a foregone conclusion. A good time in the world of sports. It really is. I mean, I just think from when you look at the situation in baseball, I remember before the All-Star break, people are like, well, you know, you can already pencil in the American League playoff. And you might be able to do it in two of the three divisions for sure. But I don't think at that time people really felt like the Yankees couldn't make the playoffs. And I don't think anybody thought the Astros could be caught. Or if somebody were to catch them, it would be the A's. I think a lot of earners were playing well. And then in the National League, every single division, I mean, without fail, is possible to go down to the last weekend of the season. I mean, the season we were just talking about this last night on television, you know, Braves, Phillies, final three at the bank in Philly. I mean, how big could that be? And then obviously what's going on in the Central, which is more germane to you guys, the West is totally up for grabs. Each of the wild card spots is up for grabs. And I think in the NFL, to your point, I mean, tonight we actually have what I'm kind of excited to see just from a a geeky TV perspective is tonight we're going to have our Monday night crew out there for the first time when the Jets play the Redskins. Darnold obviously is in the spotlight, and Norman said some good things about him, which I think is interesting because a guy like Josh Norman doesn't dole out the praise, and here he is just fawning all over a guy that's played one preseason game, so that's pretty interesting. But also from a TV perspective to see what our crew uh, looks like tonight because, you know, we're about the same age and, you know, Monday Night Football has gone from ABC to ESPN and there's been changes throughout the NFL schedule, but it's still those three words. It's still Monday Night Football. So it'll be exciting to see what Joe and Booger and uh, Jason Witten and, and Lisa Salters, who's the old standby, she's the old reliable on that show because <laughs> the other three are brand new and she's obviously brought a great veteran presence over the years. So it'll be cool to kind of see them just from a TV perspective because, as you know, with these preseason games, once Darnold leaves or whatever the case is, uh, then there's not too much to watch unless you're a hardcore fan of the Jets or the Redskins. So if you're interested in watching Monday Night Football each and every Monday in the fall, this is kind of like a, you know, a little primer to see what you can get. I kind of like that sort of stuff. Maybe that's just me and you, Trent, because we're in the media, but it's kind of cool nonetheless. No, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's great, and uh, the, the different stories that can come up. And uh, we got a, a local one with some ties to back you there in the East Coast with the Iowa Little Leaguers. They played earlier today against the New York squad. Always great. Saw it a couple of years ago. I was able to go to Williamsport and, and cover the Johnston team that made it out there two years ago. You know I do a lot of high school sports, and our baseball season concluded with Urbandale. Their junior class was comprised basically of the group five, six years ago that made it to the Little League World Series. Quite the event. And and Zubin, I, I know there are plenty of people that are detractors. You're putting these 12-year-old kids on ESPN, and the pressure maybe can be too much for what these young guys can uh, live up to. I think it's absolutely incredible, though. I love it every single year and, and pumped up to watch it again this season. I'm 100% with you. I just think at this point, you know, Trent, I mean, there's going to be detractors in literally everything you do. You can find the most pure thing on earth, and people will come up with some reason to not like it. So I think you can never let, and generally speaking, I think this is good advice in life or TV programming, you can't let the critics bother you. If you really think you've got something special with a bunch of kids, last thing they do before they go back to school, a memory they'll always have for a lifetime, 
Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's been great over the years. It brings the world together. Um, you see the sportsmanship. Uh, I think, you know, kids are great because whether you have your own kids, you have neighbors that are kids, you were a kid, it's such a relatable aspect. You played t-ball, you played baseball, whatever it is. And I think it just brings a lot of different sort of people together in an age where we're really pretty fractured. And, again, it's about the kid. I understand that there's some pressure, but at this particular juncture, you're letting the kids show all the ability that they have, and the more ability that they have, the more you want to see get out of them. So I'm with you. I understand that there's been some critics over the years, but by and large, I think they've been drowned out by the amount of people that really tend to love it. You know, Brent Musburger's called it over the years. It's been on ABC over the years. We've treated it as a really big deal over the years. And it is. I would tell you, as I was doing all the uh, uh, highlights this weekend, because we were getting set, I believe Sunday was the last day where everybody got their last bids. And I know Iowa got in over the weekend with that win mm-hmm. over Fargo. What I love doing when I do these highlights, um, two things I would tell you. One, since they went to the regional format, like Great Lakes or Midwest or Mid-Atlantic or Pacific Northwest or whatever they call it, West Coast, um, since they've gone to the regional format, I believe that was in 2001, um, Iowa has been the most successful team out of their region. So of all the teams in the Midwest that qualify, or all the states in the Midwest that qualify in that region, that Midwest region that gets a birth, one of the eight U.S. births, Iowa has been the most successful state. I wouldn't have thought that off the top of my head, but then again, you say this is a couple different times. I know Michael Admire said he's gone to Williamsport three different times. That must mean at least three different teams have qualified, so it says a lot about the state. The one other thing I would tell you is, as, as a broadcaster, I don't know about you, when you do the games, but when I'm just doing the highlights and it's Fargo, North Dakota, and Des Moines, Iowa, or Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and Billings, Montana, or Goffstown, New Hampshire, and Coventry, Rhode Island, or what, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, whatever, I love, and I think this is important, especially for small towns, I think it's really important to not just say Iowa. I think it's important to say Johnston, or it's important to say Des Moines, mm-hmm. or Billings, Montana, or Coeur d'Alene, because a lot of these places are small towns, and this is it. This is a big moment for the town. This is our youth. This is our future. How great is this? This is a memory they'll always have. So instead of just doing New York, I think it's important to say Maine and Wells, New York. When I grew up, Tom's River, New Jersey won it with Todd Frazier. Instead of just saying New Jersey, I think it's cool to say Tom's River, New Jersey. So I always feel like it's easy to go for the state. The state is what's stitched across the kid's jersey. It's what's going to be on the graphic when you see the score on the screen. But I think it's really important every once in a while, especially on the clinching day, when I did the Fargo-Des uh, Moines highlight, you've got to keep emphasizing it's Des Moines, it's this town, it's this city, because I think there's a lot of pride that goes into that, no matter where in the country you're living, if you see kids in your town make it. Very cool event. Uh, incredible the way that it's set up. Just people going in, no admission, they pass the hat in between innings. It is, if you're a baseball fan... It needs to be on your bucket list. The the purest form of baseball at Williamsport every single year. Zubin, uh, with that, there's been an addition to that, though. It started last season, a Major League Baseball game being played, Sunday Night Baseball. Last year, it was Pittsburgh and St. Louis. This year, it'll be Philadelphia and the Mets. And, and you mentioned Todd Frazier, who played in the Little League World Series on that Tom's River team from New Jersey. He'll be playing in Williamsport. Talking about your, your baseball career kind of coming full circle. No question, and I'm glad you brought that up. The game's actually this week going to start an hour earlier, so it'll be 8 Eastern, 7 Central is when it normally gets played baseball tonight, but it's actually going to be 7 Eastern and 6 Central. And if you're interested this weekend on Sports Center for the fans that are interested for the Little League, 
World Series, depending on who ends up shaking out, who ends up being there. Obviously, we'll still have a few more games to play after that Sunday. I think the event ends on the 26th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But it's one of those things where you look at it and you just say at 3 o'clock on Sunday, uh, Eastern Time, we'll be doing our show. I'll be in Bristol. Michael Leaves will be in Williamsport. And we'll have all the coverage of everything that's happened on that Sunday. And then at 6 o'clock, we'll be back. And I'll be doing the show in Bristol. And he'll be doing it in um, Williamsport. And we'll take a focus on the Phillies and the Mets. So, obviously, uh, the game will be starting a little bit of an hour early um, to, uh, you know, accommodate Williamsport. I think, you know, you don't want to be out there too late. Nobody wants to be out there at 11 o'clock or 11.45 with a typical sunfall here in the East Coast. We're going to start, start it an hour early, and we'll have extensive coverage. Like I said, our earlier programming on Sunday will focus on the games at hand and what's going on with the kids. And then as we come back at 6 Eastern time or 5 year time Central time, we'll put a much bigger emphasis on the Phillies and the Mets Obviously, uh, there's a ton at stake for the Phillies, a ton at stake for the Phillies. I mean, if I would have told you the first week of the season, after what happened with Aaron Nola on opening day and the way Gabe got booed, that you know, you could be looking at the National League Manager of the Year <laughs> yeah. and a team that could win the National League East, it would be pretty astounding considering how bad it started uh, for the Phillies. So we'll have uh, uh, the kids, the focal point in our early show on Sunday. If you happen to be around, just wait to see what's going on. And then later, uh, we'll put much more of an emphasis on the Phillies and the Mets. And I would assume, as you mentioned, with Todd Frazier's background, and he's always loved talking about it, that uh, he'll obviously have be a focal point of that as we look forward to a major league game in a town known for Little League Baseball. Talking right now with our man Zubin Mahente from ESPN. You see him on SportsCenter. One more on baseball, Zubin. And uh, made a Twitter explode last night. It was a huge storyline. The beating on the first pitch the bottom of the first inning at Atlanta last night, Ronald Acuna Jr. gets beaned for being too good, I guess? Yeah, I got a little crazy last night. Uh, the Cardinals are kind of making, uh, you know, yeah. Cardinals are kind of making it a little interesting here. So uh, we just got to start paying attention to some things we, we normally wouldn't. I don't, you know, it's funny. Every meeting, all we do, the first thing, every single day, I'm trying to push more A's stuff because I just feel like, that's a story that no one's talking about. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's weird. They have, Chris, we looked at the salary. They have, they have the lowest opening day payroll in baseball, $66 million. And uh, Chris Davis is making, like, $10.5 million, And, like, nobody else on the team, quote-unquote, is making, like, real baseball money, which I guess allowed them to add at the deadline, which is, I guess, somewhat interesting. But um, we're spending so much time worrying about, like, the Mariners and the Astros slide. Then a team like the Cardinals is just sneaking up. Even like yesterday, so much Cubs and Brewers talk, but like the Cardinals is like really a team you got to keep an eye on, you know? Acuna last night, though, that was just, uh, well, different level stuff that we saw. And I thought you guys did a great job on it on SportsCenter. Yeah, that was bizarre. That was actually our top story last night. We were on for about a couple hours. And every time we decided to say, let's go to the top stories, this was really the only story there um, because it was just superseding everything else. Uh, to me, it's interesting. I don't really like what happened. I know there are other people that have come out and said that's baseball. We had Rick Sutcliffe on last night who was really upset about it. I just think it's one of those situations where it's sort of, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it's like some of these unwritten rules of baseball, they just need written rules that make sense. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just yep. sort of like, well, you got to do this to this guy here on the first pitch because he's been able to do this again because that's some sort of unwritten code that the game has been abiding by for years whereas i just think maybe in 2018 it's just time to use some common sense i will say this though um we we mentioned this last night during the during the broadcast um 
it just goes to show things have changed now rules-wise. But think about where this kid is. I mean, I don't know. Is Soto the rookie of the year? Is this kid the rookie of the year? I mean, I don't know. It's a pretty good comparison. you got a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old, and obviously the entire Braves are just flush with young talent, with Albies, et cetera, their pitching staff. Um, but I would say this. We dug up this thing that, uh, you know, you can sign somebody as a free agent, or for somebody like Acuna, who's coming from uh, out of the country, you could sign them as a uh, international free agent, I believe they call it. There's a free agent, like in America, and then there's an international free agent. And the Braves signed Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, and once again, the rules have since changed, as an international free agent in 2014 for $350,000. <laughs> and this guy is going to end up being, if he stays healthy, I know the early returns are there. He's only played in about 70 games or so, then 68, 69, 70 games, something like that, somewhere between 67 and 70. And he is in a situation where he could be the foundational piece and to get him for $350,000. Things have changed, like I said, but can you imagine right now, obviously contractually-wise it's different, but just to get your hands on Ronald Lacuna Jr., can you think of a better bargain in baseball right now? (laughs) No, the O R the R O R R O I on that investment has been very, very good, Zuba, no doubt about it. And Braves fans pleased about that. Oh, the Nationals are going the wrong way. The Cardinals are going the other way as they have a continued after a rough bullpen stretch out of them. Believer in the Cardinals, we gonna get a race here? I think so. And obviously last night against the Nats, you know, the Nats are somewhere Dusty Baker. I think I said this last night at some point. Um Dusty Baker shaking his head saying, yep, you guys thought it was all my fault, huh? Okay, you know? I mean, I think he did a pretty good job, generally speaking, over the years with the Nats. Just because he didn't win in the postseason doesn't mean he's not capable of winning. Um, You know, Dave Martinez is under a lot of pressure. Collectively, the Nats are under a lot of pressure. Bryce is under a lot of pressure individually. And that continues to be the big story. But to me, uh, the bigger story was the, the Cardinals winning eight in a row. If you take a look at their record with Schilt, again, I'm not saying he's the be-all, end-all. I'm not saying he's going to be definitely the guy that replaces Mike Matiti, although Ken Rosenthal did hint that yesterday in some of his writing. But, you know, you're 19-9 and after last night. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Guys are playing with a lot more energy and a lot more bounce. And when John Bozalak, who is the Cardinals general manager, said when we made this move, we distinctly hoped to remain in playoff mix, in the postseason mix, people laughed at him. People laughed at him. Um, saying, look at the, uh, the uh, always steady Cardinals making a rash move, firing a manager midseason for the first time since Joe Torre in the 90s. And, you know, what are they doing? Uh, it's not typical Cardinal baseball. And he's just like, we had to make this move. And I think right now, to your point, Trent, they could still fade. And obviously, um, you know, the Cardinals are still contending with the Brewers and the Cubs. But I think a lot of people, if you would have said that the Cardinals would be able to rally against a behind a guy that not even the most hardcore baseball fan could tell you anything about, Mike Schilt, right? I <laughs> mean, the most hardcore fan could barely tell you anything. And that the way that they have played is pretty interesting. And I think this is great. You want the A's in the AL. You want a team like a Cardinals in the NL. And at the end of the day, for me, I just look at it and say, you know, <laughs> baseball has always sort of had the cards in the mix. I mean, it's been a long time since they've missed the playoffs in three straight years. I mean, it's been a couple decades since that's actually happened. So I think this is a great move because I think it's something that it's all reliable. Baseball could always kind of rely on the cards to be there. And I always say this tongue-in-cheek, you know, they say they, uh, they call themselves the best fans in baseball, 
And uh, if you don't believe me, you can just ask them. They'll tell you that. <laughs> but it's one of those things where if you really look at it, I think when they're good, it's good for the game. And it's pretty astounding that a managerial switch, because they have not made a lot of moves, as you know, right. because I think a lot of the assumption was that they weren't really going to be in the mood to be buyers. If anything, they were going to be sellers. Uh, they've had some squabbles with Dexter Fowler. But by and large, the roster doesn't look drastically different from when Mercedes left to when Schilt took over. And if that's the case, I think you've got to give this guy a little credit. Zubin uh, football right around the corner, getting closer and closer. In fact, tomorrow night here in the state of Iowa, it's week zero and a lot of eight-player games. I'm sure you remember covering some eight-player football back in the day here in Iowa. Oh, it was great. I mean, I remember when I first got there, I, I might have said this on the air before, my very first story at Channel 5, I covered Adair Casey, eight-man football. Yeah. And then when I was in Colorado, believe it or not, I mean, this just goes to show you how different parts of the country are. When I was in Colorado... They had six-man football. Wow. And the late, yeah, the late, great Rashan Salam uh-huh. played six-man football. And the reason I knew that was I did the story. I went to Adair Casey right off of Interstate. I believe it's 80 West, right, from Des Moines, if mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember correctly. I think that's right. You got Maybe it. Maybe about 40 minutes or so. And I remember I went up there, and I did a story, um, and... And uh, it was amazing. It was just I'd never seen anything like that before. So you've got eight-man football. You've got, I, don't, I don't think anybody in Iowa plays six football, right? I've never no, heard of that no. in Iowa. Um, but that's out there. Six-man football is definitely out there. I love the fact, which I really love. I don't know if it's the same anymore. It's been really a long time since I've been there um, to watch a game. But it's one of those things where what I really loved was toward the end of my tenure, uh, the eight-man championships when I first got to Des Moines were actually staged at Adair Casey. Um, no matter who made it, the championship game was at Adair Casey, and Adair Casey was pretty good, so they were always there. But toward the end of when I was in Des Moines, they actually moved the eight-man championship to the Unidome. Now, obviously, they had to reconfigure the field a little bit. There were some cones out. You know, the, it, was, it, was like a, it was like a volleyball court and basketball court all combined <laughs> into one, right? You got lines all over the place. You're not sure who's who, where's what, what's out of bounds, what's going on. But I just thought it was cool for those kids, A, if you didn't play for Adair Casey to feel like you could play on a neutral field for the championship. It was so good, they always tended to be in there, as I recall. But there's also just the aspect of both teams, whether it's A-Day or not, just going to the Unidome, taking the bus ride, taking the fans, taking the community, and just doing what Dowling Catholic or Valley or Ankeny or any of these other schools or Ankeny Centennial, which wasn't around when I was there, but I know it's a big deal, to just have that experience. I think it's awesome. Like I said, the field was a little funky, and everybody was trying to get used to it. But it was just cool for them at the end of the day, at least when I was there, to have that big-time experience, to go to the Dome, to have that rallying cry like a lot of these teams have at the beginning of the season. So that was cool, but I'm also kind of glad they got to experience what all the other schools experience uh, at the same level, which I think is neat. It was overdue, but I'm glad they did it. Just a big boy football as we wrap up here, a conversation with Zubin Mahente of ESPN. Zubin, a uh, couple of notes I wanted to get into, including Saquon Barkley, and we saw a year ago just how good that guy is. 300 yards of total offense against the Hawkeyes, 200 yards rushing, nearly 100 receiving, just an absolute stud. Had a, a little bit of a scare, but I know people out there in the East Coast, the Giant fans are pumped up about this team. Could the Giants be that surprise? There's seemingly one every year in the NFL that kind of comes out of nowhere. Some people are circling the Giants. Are, are you willing to go there? Yeah, what's interesting is the team that I think has gotten the least amount of attention in the division is actually the team that I think made the biggest move of all, and that's Washington. Right? There's so much attention being put on the Giants because of Saquon, 
And I think the Giants fans and Dave Gettleman, their general manager, who obviously grew up within the Giants organization, built the Panthers, came back to the Giants. They're just going to have to really hope that Sam Darnold or Josh Allen or Josh Rosen doesn't end up making it huge because no matter how good Saquon Barkley is, and I think he can be a transcendent sort of player for them, um, no matter how great he is, if they were to pass on one of those three guys and any one of them becomes the sort of player that the organization that they're currently with hopes that they can become, i.e. guys they could have drafted because obviously Baker was taken right before the Giants pick, then I think the Giants will probably rue the day for a long time because as cliche as it sounds, I still don't think in this league right now you can pass up a surefire quarterback, especially when your quarterback is in his late to mid-30s or mid to late 30s as Eli is. So I think that's one thing they're going to have to cross their fingers on and just hope that's the case. Now, obviously, Eli can look a little better if you give him a healthy Saquon, you give him a healthy Odell back after the ankle injury. So I actually think that they have a lot of work to do, but he's the kind of guy, as you guys know, unfortunately found out the hard way, he can catch a lot of passes out of the backfield. He's dynamic. He's explosive. You can put him all over the field. He's an incredibly high-character guy. So for all the things you heard about Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and how do we feel about this guy, you've never heard anything like that about Saquon Barkley. And in a big-time market like New York when you're young, I think that's important. He's also a local kid, so I think he's sort of used to the area as well. But I would tell you, Trent, as much interest as there is in the Giants and there's gigantic interest in Saquon Barkley, and there's gigantic interest on how the Cowboys will bounce back with Ezekiel Elliott fully back, no Des Bryant, huge interest on whether Carson Wentz will take the first snap on September 6th or whether it'll be Nick Foles and how are the Eagles going to look defending the title. I think the team that's totally gotten lost in that division is the Redskins who I think with Alex Smith made the best offseason acquisition of anyone in the division. How confident are they in Alex Smith, Trent? They signed him to a four-year extension before he even took a snap. Think about that. Everybody in the league coveted Kirk Cousins. They obviously had a little bit of a rough patch with Kirk Cousins. But they basically said, all right, you guys can go fight over Kirk Cousins. The guy we're going to sign, we're so confident in that we are going to give him a four-year extension before he ever steps under center for us. And I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady because that's a ridiculous comparison. But there is something to be said where he is actually getting better with age. I think there's a lot of people that wonder what would have happened if he had the proper level of coaching right away in San Francisco. Obviously, it got away from him, lost the job to Kaepernick. But you could really make an argument, even though he's probably not going to win you the Super Bowl like Brady is five times, that much like Brady, he has learned, waited, failed a little bit, Kept moving up. Brady's obviously ascended, zoomed past him into another stratosphere. But that doesn't mean Alex Smith can't be successful. And much like Brady's playbook, he's a guy that appears to be getting better as he gets older. I think the Skins are obviously pegged by many to finish last in the division. But I do think they may have made the most impactful move in the entire division. And because there's so much attention on the champs, and obviously the Cowboys for obvious reasons, and the Giants trying to bounce back from one of the worst seasons in the history of the franchise with their highest draft picks in Lawrence Taylor, that the Skins, a three-time Super Bowl champion, are kind of being left out there. Nobody's talking about them. But I actually think they made the sneaky great move of the offseason. Again, most people are focused on Cousins and what they lost. But I really think if you look at Alex Smith, and I know there's a lot of Chiefs fans out there that mm-hmm. in your audience that you know, liked what he did or probably didn't love what he did, um, I think that's a huge upgrade for a team like Washington. And I'm surprised more people aren't talking about the Redskins. But then when you sit back and kind of look at the rest of this vision, there's only so much oxygen there, and it just seems like the other three teams generally grab it. But I just think that's going to be a sneaky, sneaky, great acquisition.
Zubin, great stuff. I appreciate the conversation. Always a lot of fun. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next week. Thank you, Trent. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Watch him on SportsCenter, and he joins us here on the program each and every week on your drive home. With that, we're due for a timeout. Coming back with more on the other side, it's Jimmy B and TC. Continuing on, Jimmy B and TC, minus the Jimmy B portion of the program today. Brinson will be back with us tomorrow on a football Friday, but we got plenty of football to talk about right now. As our good friend Ken Silverstein drops by, as he does normally on Thursdays, here with us. And Ken, two weeks from well tonight, we will be getting ready for Northwestern Purdue, the kickoff of the Big Ten football season. Just a moment, a religious moment here. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Better yet, hallelujah. 14 days. And I've been counting this down from like 100. So that you, <laughs> we got it down to 14. Next week when we speak, you don't have to be a mathematician. It'll be seven. And then obviously uh, two weeks today. It's a little funky because there's a, you know, most of us, and I'll raise my hand, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to college football. I like everybody starting on Saturdays, but I get it. I get the TV thing. I, I get the funky schedule with some conference stuff early and, and et cetera. For me, I'd rather play the three non-conference games, week one, week two, week three, bang them out, and then get in the conference play. But that's not how we do it anymore, and I, I understand it. I'm not sure I, I like it totally, but for us traditionalists out there, they know where I'm coming from. Ken, uh, a look at the Big Ten as a whole, and as we await the – the decision and the report coming from Ohio State, I guess tomorrow is when we anticipate we'll get our hands on that. Well, it could be tomorrow. I've heard now it could even be Monday. Ah. Uh, so this thing, talking to a good source, when did I talk to him? About an hour ago. Um, it's, <laughs> I, I, they still have one or two people still to talk to now. Unless they've talked to them and nobody knows about it, I'm still unaware that they have chatted with Urban Meyer. And I don't know that they talked to the athletic director, Gene Smith, yet. They've talked to the other, quote, quote, principals. Um, let's put it this way. You're not old enough to remember. You're going to have to Google this puppy, okay? And you'll see it. There was a TV series many, many, many years ago called Peyton Place. This makes, when you look up Peyton Place, you'll know. This makes Peyton Place look like something G-rated, okay? Uh, for those who don't know, as Trent's looking it up yeah. as we speak, it was the first real big TV or one of the first big TV soap operas. But I remember it was in prime time, and it was on for a few years, and uh, it was kind of cutting edge. It kind of pushed the envelope for the era. Today it would look very G-rated, but for that era it was pushing it a little bit. And so the, the line or the cliche came out in regards to Peyton Place. And so whenever someone thought something was, really wild and off the, off the hook, let's say, they would say, hey, it reminds me of Peyton Place. So that's where that comes from. So, yeah, this thing has been wild. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. I'm, I haven't been told that the coach and the AD have been spoken to. Um, but I'll stick to my guns here. Um, he's not going to lose his job. There, there's, there's not, at least from what I can grasp and what's been out there, Man, it's just two people who should never have met each other, should never dated, should never have been married. Now it appears she's got a drinking problem. Don't know if that's true or not, but that's the accusation out there by her mom. It's bad when your mom is ripping you, okay? I mean, that's really what's been going on here. The mom's been ripping 
the daughter. The daughter's ripping the assistant coach, in this case, Zach Smith. Zach Smith is trying to protect his image. You have Tom Herman allegedly involved. This thing, again, I'll circle back, is like Peyton Place. I mean, it's just, it is just crazy, and I'm almost afraid what tomorrow's going to bring, but it's been pretty quiet today, pretty quiet yesterday per se, and I think he's going to hold on to his job. I think he should hold on to his job. I don't think there's anything there that's a fireball offense, in my opinion, but we live in a PC world. I think they will suspend him for, I'll stick to my guns. That's what we said two weeks ago. I think he'll get two games. I'm not sure he deserves two games, but to appease certain people, I think he will get two games, and that would be uh, Tulane. That would be Oregon State on September 1st, and that would be, oh, my goodness, look who's coming next, Rutgers on September 8th. So it's not like they're going to need him to be head coach in those two games. He would be back, if I'm right, for the TCU game in Arlington, national TV on the 15th of September. I, I say he gets a little more. In fact, I, I say he gets four. He does. I'll say it's going to be four, but again, this is wild speculation. I'm with you, though. Yeah, that's the problem. You could be right. I mean, yeah. um, there are a lot of people who think you're right that it could be four. I've heard people say two, like me. I've heard people say there will be no suspension. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say it'll be three games. It, I think it depends. Michael Drake is the president of Ohio State. Um this is a very difficult decision because I don't think anything is super obvious here. And there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of, again, Zach Smith and the, the ex-wife. I mean, you couldn't find two people who should never even been in the same county of each other, uh, less be dating and then married and then have at least one kid that I'm aware of. So, um, I don't know. Um, I think four is a little much, but would it shock me? No, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me one bit. If it was two, I wouldn't take a bow. I mean, I think that's fair at this point. And, again, I don't think uh, three or one or whatever the math they come up with, I think they're going to have to do something. Again, I don't think he did anything that wrong. Lying to them. You know how many times I've been lied to? I mean, I, I think it's one of the most laughable offenses I've ever heard when certain people get upset, oh, in the media particularly, who say, well, we've been lied to at the Big Ten meetings. Grow up. We're lied to all the time. If you're a really good reporter, you know you've been lied to, and you have to work around it to get to the truth. So you, you always take it as a lie, and if you're lucky, it's a half-truth. So this standing on this soapbox and saying, oh, my goodness, I've been lied to, or we've been lied to, oh, my goodness, I'd be a billionaire. In all these years I've done this, if I had X amount of dollars every time I've been lied to, either by a player, a coach, a manager, an AD, an assistant coach, an owner, or a partridge in a pear tree. So this pious silliness is one of the wackiest things. I don't know about you, but how many times have you been lied to by, <laughs> by a coach, a player, assistant coach, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Come on, let's, let's be real here, but... Look, somebody's got to write a column, and somebody's got to get a bunch of hits. And knowing a lot of the people who've been writing this stuff, I read it, and I sit there, and I laugh. Because I know these people, as you know some of them. And I just know they don't believe what they're writing. And if they do, then I think they're whacked. I mean, this idea that as a media member you should be offended that you've been lied to, 
please, please. If you're a prosecutor or you're a lawyer, if you're a lawyer, a defense attorney, and your client's lying to you, you got a problem. If you're a prosecutor, okay, and you've been lied to, okay, you got a problem, all right? But as a media member, I don't care if it's newspaper, I don't care if it's radio, I don't care if it's TV. I'll make a difference. I'm not prejudiced. Bottom line is, if you're offended because you've been lied to, then I think you got to get tougher skin and realize that's just part of the trade, and you're being challenged to figure out what the truth is. Ken, uh, the Big Ten as a whole, we have this situation at Ohio State. We have the mm. mess with DJ Durkin and strength and conditioning Ugh. staff in Maryland and Ugh. a player that died on their watch. You have Michigan State and D'Antonio and all the shady doings that have happened throughout his tenure there, and it is a long list. Going back to Penn State, even here at Iowa, we had Rabdo. Now, that was seven years ago, but the Big Ten as a whole has a whole lot of warts. Is it because we cover the Big Ten and we know more about these stories that would fall through the cracks if we were in ACC territory or something like that? Or do you see as a, a problem something that maybe Jim Delaney needs to talk to his, uh, his football programs about? Well, I think there is part of it because of proximity. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But I'm going to throw something in the mix, and I think this is a great question. And that would be, I think the Big Ten, and I'm not blaming Delaney particularly for this. He gets a little bit of blame, but I think it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, the longtime commission sitting in the corner office. And that would be, over the last, Eight, ten years particularly, the Big Ten has been behind, okay, the SEC uh, and other conferences, okay? And I think they have tried very hard to catch up. And I think to some extent, some years a little better, some years whatever, I think there has been um, an attitude of we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, and we got to, we got to, we got to gain, we got to gain, we got to gain. And sometimes when you're in a rush and you're trying to close the gap as quickly as possible, then sometimes some corners are cut. Okay. And yes, in no particular order right now, currently, well, you forgot Michigan, even though Harbaugh is yeah. downplaying the shoe situation. We'll see on that one. Again, North Carolina's got issues there. They've suspended a whole bunch of players in regards to sneakers, shoes, whatever you want to call them. So Michigan may, not sure, may have something there. Michigan State, well-documented, well-documented, okay? They still haven't figured it totally out, okay? We'll leave Michigan State alone for the time being because we've hammered them for a long time. Now, let's go. We've already talked about Ohio State. I think this thing could be resolved tomorrow, but my guess is going to go through the weekend. I think we'll know by Monday-ish from that from that issue. Now let's look at Maryland. Oh, my goodness, what are we doing here? All right, um, obviously some of the people um, are suspended with pay. Some have uh, gone bye-bye, resigned, quit, whatever you want to call it. And now we got D.J. Durkin, who prior to this, I think has done a pretty good job, okay? Pretty good job. Not an easy place to recruit. Number two, he's in the wrong division. If he was in the West, geographically he'd be in better shape. Problem is he's in the East with the four big boys, or four of the five biggest boys in this conference, including Wisconsin at this point. So, look, he had the reputation at Michigan as an assistant coach 
Maryland, to some extent, knew what they were getting and maybe said to themselves, you know what, let's go back to Ken's comment earlier of, you know what, we need to be in a hurry here. We need a rush, rush, rush. We need to close the gap. We need to get into bowl games every year. Are we going to win this thing? Probably not. In no year are we ever going to beat the Big Four. But if we can win six, seven games a year, maybe we get lucky We get eight in a very lucky year, then you know what, we can pay some of our bills from the bowl game and uh, feel a little bit better about ourselves and make our alums throw a bone uh, to the alumni and appease them. Um, he's in a lot of trouble. Uh, should they fire him? Um, I might. Yeah, I think I might. I think I might. Um, you're dealing with a death here. You're dealing with um, his right-hand man being jettisoned. You're, being, you're dealing with this thing not being handled correctly. You're dealing with a culture issue. You're dealing with quotes from the president and the AD, if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the week that basically, if you read them, to me, sound like they're throwing uh, somebody, and i got to believe it's Durkin, under the bus. So could he beat the posse? I guess he could. But if I was him, I would be uh, making sure I knew the number for Allied or Beacons to uh, get the furniture backed up into the truck. The truck will go beep, beep, beep as it backs up and then roll out of College Station and look for the next gig. Uh, my guess is he won't be able to get a head coaching position right away. Probably would take a year off, try to redo his image a little bit, and then see what he can do uh, uh, down the road. So um, they got to move. They're getting sued left and right, and um, it's a shame. That young man, um, that's a major tragedy, obviously, for the program. Forget the program. To his family, his loved ones, they come first, and then others obviously follow uh, in line. Mayflower, wasn't it Mayflower when the uh, the Baltimore Colts made their way to Indianapolis? Yes, yes. I don't know if they're still around. Mayflower in the middle of the night, <laughs> yes. right? So Mayflower, Beacons, or any other moving company that you can think of in the Des Moines area. If you're looking for business, you may want to just get on the interstate, head east to DJ Jerkin's house, you know, just sit outside and wait for this thing to be dropped on his head to squish him, and then just back up the truck, roll the lid down, have the guys jump out and say, hey, we're here to move your furniture, okay? And just roll down the highway. That's a little bit of silliness, but I think you see where I'm going with this. I got you. I got you well. Hey, good co- talking with you as always, Ken. Enjoy your weekend. When we talk next, we'll be inside a week to college football. And Brinson may be around? Wow. Yeah, don't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> we'll see you again. Have a good one, everybody. Ken Silverstein. <laughs> Check it in with us from Ohio. Always a lot of fun. And uh, talking Big Ten football with him. We're coming back on the other side. Putting a cap on things next. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Trent Conan back with you one final time as we get ready for the night in sports here. And taking a look around. Hey, if you're taking a look around, place for dinner tonight. Make it Bennigan's on Merle Hay Road. As uh, Greg Fontanini and his staff, brand new menu Great items. They've helped bring a high school baseball to the airwaves and looking for a big football season here. Disappointing uh, run in the opening round for the Iowa Little Leaguers as they fall today to New York, but still a couple of games left for them. Love to see them get a victory and and maybe get hot again. Never know uh, with them, but uh, that was the afternoon in baseball. A look forward to tonight. Also had some day baseball going on here in just a couple minutes. So we got the Cubs in action. Big start for John Lester. One that feels 
uber important for him if he's going to get back on the right side of things. An ERA approaching nine since the All-Star break. It has been some ugly, ugly pitching from John Lester. We'll see how he bounced back tonight against the Pirates. 6.05, the first pitch in that one. The Cardinals, they play 6.15, an early start down in St. Louis tonight. Uh, as opposed to what we're normally accustomed to with those 7-15 starts. 6-15 for that one against the Nationals. Can they stay hot? Can they keep the pressure on? We will keep an eye on that. That's been a lot of fun. Ronald Acuna back in the lineup tonight for Atlanta. And uh, the streak is still alive, though he played and didn't homer. Didn't have an official at bat as he was being last night. 6-35 in that matchup. Coming up this evening against Colorado. Keep an eye on that one. And probably... That's about it. We got preseason football, though. Packers looking forward to that one. Want to see that first-team offense. Want to get another look at Devontae Adams. Didn't see a whole lot of their Week 1 matchup against Tennessee, so I do want to get a closer look at them against Pittsburgh. That'll be the local game on this evening. Also, ESPN has the Jets and Washington. So keeping an eye on that should be a good one. Looking forward to another good week in sports. And my partners are coming back tomorrow. Ken will be back in town tomorrow from noon till 2. Jim will be back in town from 4 until 5, an abbreviated show tomorrow with Kansas City Chiefs football starting here at 5 o'clock with the pregame show and 6 o'clock with the kick. But the guys are back. won't be sitting here talking to myself. I think you're all going to be happy about that. That'll do it. Thanks again to everybody out there for listening in. As always, we appreciate it. Big thank you to everybody out there for joining us today. Ian Castleberry, we talked with him. Some baseball, little... Uh, sports media got into that with Ian Steve Batterson latest on the Hawkeyes and what he saw at Kids Day last weekend Zuba Mahente Ken Silverstein you can always go back and catch those on the podcast page at 1700 that'll do it we'll talk to you tomorrow starting at noon on 1700 KBGG